James. It's that time of the year. It's WWDC year, and specifically, it's WWDC 19, if you're keeping score out there. This is the one where we got dark mode in iOS. Did you watch the keynote? That's the one that we got dark mode. Yeah, and that was the only important uh, announcement <laughs> from the entire I, keynote. I fell asleep during the rest. I, don't, I hope you watched. I did watch live. Uh, it was really nice. I tuned right in and it worked in every browser that Apple supports. So all of them. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, right off the bat, I really appreciated watching television trailers as the punch opening to the developer keynote. That was really. Is, hmm. is that how it opened? I, I totally blacked out then. I don't even remember that part. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, Tim, Tim Cook. Came out on stage like he always does. He's looking pretty dapper, pretty in shape. And he got real excited about Apple TV. And he's like, check out this new space trailer. And he's like, here's oh, a show we're making. Right. for the From the Star Trek and, uh, oh gosh, I'm losing all my nerd credit right now. Battlestar TV shows. I guess he's got a new show. Uh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. I even tweeted a picture about it. <laughs> so that's what you remember <laughs> from Dub Dub. <laughs> I mean, that's how I like to start all my developer keynotes for conferences. So I'm pretty into it. I think that they crushed it with just, you know, I'm going to subscribe now. I'm in Apple Plus TV. Plus. Just that one show. Okay. Uh, I, I probably will be a subscriber at least for just a month just to check it out. I hope they have month to month plans. They better. <laughs> well, no. So I watched I watched all of it. And I also watched the, what is it called? The, 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 the developer state of the union. Is that, is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. Yeah, this is where they get a little nerdier than uh, the keynote. And it used to be kind of questionable whether we could even talk about this stuff under NDA, but now it's all public. Everyone can watch this, so we can talk about it. And they just fill in a lot of the details. I was surprised, actually, how fast they went over parts that I was really interested in. We've been talking about marzipan forever, and they finally mentioned it, but it only got like four sentences. I was like, oh, gosh, you got to give us more details than that. So I really stuck around and waited for that State of the Union one to get some details and read some docs. Yeah, that's the important one. I think that the keynote always is super high level. That's the one for Wall Street Journal, the newspapers that are going to report on whatever's in that keynote. They're not going to be going to the developer keynote. They may yeah. <laughs> get some news bits in here. But yeah, the deep dive of the uh, State of the Union was also rushed even though it was long i thought it was rushed because they have so much this year i tweeted 30 minutes into the show that apple wins the developer cast that apple wins but then i shouldn't have <laughs> tweeted that because then they announced a bunch of stuff and i was like oh i gotta delete this tweet um uh -huh. and, and and they had only announced home kit for routers and i was like i'm in everything's apple in my house now i wait everything Oh, you know, th that's another part where I just kind of blacked out. I'm like, okay, security, whatever. I don't know. For some reason, I just don't care. But it sounded like for people who care about security, that was really awesome stuff. It was something about firewalls and routers and giving Apple more money. Just wasn't that interested. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about giving Apple all my money. And maybe this fall, maybe I will be an iOS user. It, time will tell, what? Frank. What? What? That's wow. Okay. So, what was it? The watch demo? Is that what impressed you? We got um, Watch OS 6 coming out. And I didn't, I mean, it has a bunch of new faces. I didn't really notice that much different about it. But the one thing that caught my attention was that we will now be able to run apps 
even more natively on the watch. Whereas, you know, we always had that weird Bluetooth mechanism and the watch was always kind of stuck being paired to the phone a bit. Now you can truly, truly, we promise this time, thoroughly detach your watch OS apps from the phone. And that's kind of exciting. Yeah. I mean, so much that there's an app store on the watch. <laughs> yeah. I I like it because I, um, I always hated the thought that like every time you write a watch app, you also have to write an iOS app. I only just want to focus on one UI at a time for a lot of things, especially for a small app. I don't want to write two apps and work on a communication mechanism. It's too much, James. I'm simple folk. It's too so much so to think about. All the apps. So many apps. Yes. Uh, no, I mean, that was that, that was watchOS. And that was the only important announcement was that you can do standalone apps, blah, tvOS, nobody cares, whatever. I mean, they just <laughs> went into it. And we have four important things that we want to talk about that you have in your notes. And we're going to go out of order because I don't like the order they put them in. Because if I would have started, I would have put what you put number one, Frank. And what was that? Number one, James, the new Mac Pro. If you have $6,000 burning a hole in your wallet, then you can now have the new cheese grater designed Mac Pro. And it's a lot like a PC now, <laughs> except it has shiny handlebars, an all black interior. Very nice. That's what you're paying those big bucks for. A 1.4 kilowatt power supply, which is honestly a little ridiculous since I think most circuit breakers trip at like two kilowatts. Yeah. So <laughs> you better devote a part of your house to this machine. Um, but I think uh, the base configuration is pretty modest. Um, it's an RX 580 video card, but with a pretty ridiculous new Xeon processor. Nice machine. Oh, oh, and James, you can get wheels for it. <laughs> that is the best feature, I think, is the wheel design. I mean, sure, 28 cores, that's cool. But honestly, you know, wheels. Yeah. In the end, those shiny wheels just kind of sold me on it. Not true. Not giving Apple my money this year. <laughs> I think I'm going to wait a few years to buy this one. But it is nice that we actually have the PCI bus is back. You can actually buy expansion cards and jam them in and pray to God someone wrote a driver for Mac. Yeah, this was super duper nice. I mean, they talked about all the Radeon you know, PCI cards that you can shove in with Thunderbolt on them. That you can they have this new, it's like their own custom built crazy afterburner chip that allows you to, I think they said like four or eight 8K files all at the same time, like something ridiculous. Like yeah. Something, no, they showed all of it. And that was the cool part is they just didn't say the words. This is what I appreciated about that demo is they just didn't say the words. They had someone go up on there with um, After Effects or whatever the other video and audio editors mm -hmm. are. Um, yeah. Final Cut Pro and they're like look at me use it because this is how we actually have to use it before we had four machines to do this now we have one machine to do this and for those people they'll spend $30,000 or whatever the max configuration is on this and it will be the hero of you know of their work work power machine at work or or they put it in a server rack I thought that was really cool that was my <laughs> other favorite part you guys get a server rack just there you go yeah, so you can have those shiny handles sticking out. They're very important. I love that it's it's 2019 and we're still having problems with speed of video. I mean, I kind of take video for granted. Every web page has a little bit of video, video everywhere, video this and that. But um, just the 
I have one computer where I tried to play a 4K video once and the computer was just kind of choking. <laughs> so I really appreciate that this machine could do um, a bunch of 8K streams. Hard to contemplate, but yeah, I bet you that expansion card's a little bit of money, but tailored to an industry. That's what, you know, there is definitely an industry that wants machines like this. And I'm glad that Apple is giving them a machine like this. And I won't buy it, obviously, because <laughs> I don't need it. But uh, I think it's really cool that it seems as if we're in a state where this new machine will be a lot more flexible, expandable, configurable in the future. It's a beautiful design, just like Apple. There's no Johnny Ive uh, video for it, but uh, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. I was like, this looks like a great machine. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit disappointed that it can only you know give you up to four terabytes of storage, and the default configuration is 256 gigabytes of SSD. That my phone has more than that. Come on now, <laughs> was that the default 256? Yeah, sad. That's kind of low. Oh well, good thing you can buy hard drives for pretty cheap these days, yeah. and SATA expansion ports are very cheap, so you can just plug a bunch in. Hopefully it has SATA ports. They didn't really mention that part. But one thing they did mention, James, was this new 6K monitor. Now, I don't know about you, but as a semi-Apple fanboy, part-time fanboy, I've always loved their giant cinema displays. And they haven't really been making monitors in a long time. We've been making iMacs, but no monitors. And now they have, well, probably the most expensive monitor I've ever seen. <laughs> But the animations on it looked really cool with the like light bending of a backlit LED display to get like a one bazillion to one contrast ratio. Looks nice. <laughs> I'm in. It's got a uh, it's the Pro Display XDR, the ex extreme dynamic range. I believe extreme. sure that's <laughs> extended. Hopefully, do you think they said extreme? Let me see. No, it is the extreme dynamic range. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So Apple has gone to the Mountain Dew form of advertisement. <laughs> oh, Got yeah. It. I mean, it is a, again, it is a beautiful display. I love the cheese grater. It is fantastical. I mean, actually, that's not in the display because that is in the stand. The stand is also fantastical uh, in general. I'm glad that the stand is appropriately priced. Well, they're actually, okay, sorry. I, I almost stumbled over your joke there. Yes, the appropriate pricing of the stand. It's $1,000 for the stand, James. Only Apple. Crazy. Only Apple. Only Apple. <laughs> I, sorry, but I got distracted by your cheese grater comment. And I think this is kind of cool. The dynamic range of the monitor is so high that the LEDs backlighting it get very hot. And so they actually did the cheese grater design on the back just as a cooling mechanism. That's cool. That's how bright it gets. Fun that's, monitor. I'll, that's crazy. Yeah. I'll buy one in five or 10 years when they're cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that one's also... So that entry price is $6,000, and that is very, very... I mean, but there is an industry of people that need this, and we are not that industry of people. Need it. Need it in double quotes. Uh, but yeah, I guess if you're a movie producer for Hollywood, you get to have these. Well, I'm glad it exists, but I'm... Maybe not so excited or maybe excited about this iPad OS. Have, did you figure it out in, in the, the entire day? I couldn't figure any of this out still. James, as far as I can tell, Apple's doing a good old marketing <laughs> look over there thing with us. And for some reason, we're calling iOS iPad OS these days. 
And as far as I can tell, it's just marketing trying to say, hey, look, we're making efforts to um, tailor the iPad experience to a more, I don't want to keep saying pro, like that word is getting so overused now, but just have more options for multitasking, apps with multi-window, lots of good, good desktop metaphors making their way onto the iPad. So as far as I can tell, just a new name just to annoy uh, reporters and us. <laughs> yeah, it was it was immediate after iPad OS came out. I got tons of tweets at me that said, is Xamarin going to support iPad OS? Like, I mean, I yes. think it already does. I think, yes. It does. I, think it... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's still just universal binaries, just like we've been doing forever. Um, if it was not, Apple would have screamed about it in the State of the Union. It would have been a much bigger deal. It really is just a marketing thing. Yeah, this keynote was more about the unification of operating systems and less less of you know separate separation of the operating systems, and that was definitely the case in point as we'll talk about the marzipanification of applications later. Mm -hmm. But to me, uh, especially later on during the demos of iPad OS, it made it seem as if finally they care. I mean, they care about the iPad. But there's two form factors, two real form factor reasons for this. One, I think the iPad Pro, they want to make it more of a power work machine. So this iPad release to me is we are taking iPad so serious that we're investing so heavily in the features uh, for iPad that can only be done on iPad. Look at how great of these experiences you can make for iPad. Where before it was like, Hey, you're making an iOS app really for iPhone and you can kind of you can kind of do some work and kind of make it a little bit better or you can spend a lot of work, but we're going to make it dramatically more like a laptop and less like a phone operating system. That's my thoughts on it. Yeah, and I don't even see it as a differentiator. I just see it more as stealing features. Um, mm. We've just gone a long time without a bunch of features that have been kind of ubiquitous on, as you said, laptops, for example mice you know those good old devices that we've had since what forever the 80s i don't even know mm -hmm. we've had them forever but this new version of ipad os uh there is a USB-C port on these new ipads and if you can plug a mouse into that or somehow figure out some magic bluetooth stuff it'll have mouse support so it's kind of crazy <laughs> that <laughs> they are going uh full tilt but it's i think it's also we keep marzipan it's it's the pink elephant in the room that we just keep talking around but we'll get there people i promise we'll get there but as a as a side effect of us moving os ios apps to the mac is some of the needs of mac apps are come back reflected in what apis we have back on the ipad for example um, there's a new context menu system where before we had pop-ups ui pop-up controller mm -hmm. did you ever use that one yeah mm -hmm. yep uh then we had alerts then we had that like 3d touch thing that no yeah. one likes and no one can figure out but they're like well they took all those concepts and made a new thing a ui context menu but on mac that's the right click menu so you have these features that are like coming from the desktop world back into the ipad world where they darn belong because i love my ipad and i want it to be more powerful 
Yeah, and they kept saying throughout that if you make a great iPad application, that will be a lot better when you bring it to Mac. Like you should really make a really good iPad app. And if you have a great <laughs> iPad app, that great iPad app is going to be great on Mac OS. Uh, you know, but to me, the nice nod that they had here, the best kind of whiz bang demo was uh, reminders. Did you see that entire demo where they had like 18 windows open of reminders? <laughs> no, you know, actually, I blacked out during the reminders part. I hate reminders. <laughs> Any app that generates notifications, I just um, hate. And so I, I didn't pay attention to that part. But I do love the multi-window support that we're getting with apps. And I'm not totally clear on how the API works, but traditionally our apps got one window. That means one position in the task list, one position in, you know, any app list or anything like that. But now we're able to uh, get multi-window support on the iPad. Pretty amazing. Who would have thought it's come full circle? Well, the iPad really it, this year is all about the file system. So this was really your dub dub. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, actually, I'm like, ooh, got to rewrite some parts of my apps now to make sure I can support that. So two awesome things came to the files app. One is external storage. And this has just been requested from everyone. Like I have a USB stick. Let me stick it into the iPad and have it work. Like I'm sure even you've wanted that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And another cool one, which is just kind of out of the blue, I didn't see this one coming. Um, you can do Windows file share uh, support into the files app. So uh, also known as Samba share and SMB mm -hmm. share. It's built into Mac OS. It's obviously built into Windows because that's where it was invented. And you can just share files from your Windows computer, or your Mac straight to the iPad. Awesome. Well, and it really, this entire file, they, they did kind of joke that it's the year of the file. And I saw tons of tweets on Twitter and they started talking about the external storage. They showed reminders and they showed everything working together. And then they showed, you know, dragging and dropping pieces between multiple windows of reminder and then to and from the file picker. And you're like, man, this is kind of crazy because I can have a bunch of different folders open. I'm not restricted to just one. And in fact, each of the windows, I'm going to put windows in quotes, um, of UI window scene of an application comes up inside of the app switcher. And they demoed this inside of reminders for a bit, but then they switched to other apps. And I call it the year of files because your applications are very heavily file-based where you're previewing files. And the best case in point example of this new multi-window app was a nod to Microsoft. Ding, hit that office <laughs> bell because they had, they had Microsoft Office Word open with two Word documents open side by side because it's two instances or two windows inside the scene. And I was like, I mean, wow, look at, look at them go. Look at them do yeah. their thing with their window. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's exciting because it's basically a free feature. All my apps, most of my apps are document oriented. So immediately I can have three different circuits up or some two circuits and two Coca documents up all those combinations. Yep, free features. You're like, I stuck with those native APIs for some reason, please reward me after some time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how this works. Because even even if I have an app like a Xamarin Forms app, there there could be a possibility here of let's say my Meetup Manager or even my Scoreboard app, where whenever I start a new game, I just keep it in the same window. But what if I just opened up new windows on the iPad? 
And then now when people are creating games, they can create multiple games and it just spins them up into new windows, right? They kind of, the you think about the possibilities here of it where it's still in your app, but it's just a window. So that single instance of the window can be killed, but your app is not killed, which is something of interest just in general. Whereas they, they've had this on Android for a while, the multi-windows, so you could have multiple mm-hmm. activities. But unfortunately, Android tablets never really took off like iPad tablets. So it didn't get the love that I think it needed until maybe Chrome OS started supporting it a little bit more and you could kick off multiple instances in different windows. But how they demoed it, at least now that they have this passion for files, I'm like, that is a very practical use case for it or multiple emails open at the same time, for instance, and that's a different UI stack. You know, instead of instead of having to rearrange windows, they're just free floating, just like on my Windows machine or just like on your Mac. I mean, it's it's how computers it's how computers work, Frank. <laughs> well, specifically it's how Mac OS has always worked. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's very classic bringing that all the way back home. My biggest request slash fear here is that Please, everyone, update your apps to support all of this stuff because, um, well, two things. Um, one is you never know which apps even support like side by side mode on the iPad these days. Like most of the Apple apps, they all can be snapped to the side, squeezed here, squeezed there. They just work. But random apps off the App Store, it's kind of hit or miss, to be honest. And it's a little frustrating. But on top of that, what's actually frustrating is I'm not very good at the gestures for like snapping the window. I can never remember like how to do this or that. What I'm hoping is that um, once apps start adopting lots of these windows and we start making 800 windows per app, that um, we'll all learn together how to do all this window management on the iPad because the gestures sure are different than the Mac. I mean, it's the same concept, but you got to like, Go up from the bottom, hook your finger right, slide to the left, flick it up. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. I hope I learn it. I could tell that the new gestures and even some of the text editing gestures that they had were a little off because the demoer even had some issues doing it. (laughs) I mean, once you start to get more than two fingers into the scenario, it gets very complex. Yeah, yeah. Well, that text one I have all the sympathy for because I write text-based apps and I deal with the cursor all the time and trying to make it easier for people to move the cursor. Uh, Overall, I'm actually pretty excited about that. Uh, For anyone who knows, you used to be able to use like two fingers and use your keyboard as a trackpad to move the cursor, but now it's much simpler. You can just drag the cursor with one finger. But as demonstrated on the stage, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think overall, it's going to be a big improvement because uh, I'm a terrible typist and I always have to go correct things. So it's good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm happy that they're doing this. Uh, I mean, giving iPad OS a lot of love in general and bringing a lot more support for Apple Pencil. I feel I feel like they always do quite a lot of work. It's an Apple way, right? You have the the Apple Pencil around for five years and then you improve it, improve it, improve it. And then you take all everything that you learned for five years and then you give it in this new pencil kit or whatever, you know? And yeah. it, that's kind of how they, uh, you have done a lot of work with macOS, 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 and they needed to bring more 
uh, you know, features to uh, the iPad, if, if developers are actually going to ship their applications on iPad. And since an iPad can now, you know, is, is the size of a screen, you know, they want that similar-esque experience. And what this does is it ideally makes it the scenario that if you're working and using an application across devices, the experiences are smoother, more streamlined, and and hopefully enhanced. And I think that was the jumping point that I started seeing time and time and time again. I mentioned it earlier, but more than anything, Apple really wants you to make better iPad apps. Like that's really what they're <laughs> what they're going for, in my personal opinion. Yeah, um, and I I kept talking about stealing features from the Mac, but you brought up Pencil Kit. I don't know all the details here, but roughly what this is is you can add markup to your apps, and that includes the little palette of different tools and colors that shows up, say, at the bottom of the Notes app. You can put that right into your app, and I think you can put a whole canvas there too or an overlay and let people... um, uh, use ink, you know, it's kind of ink from the mm-hmm. Windows terminology into your apps. And it's always been a little bit of a missing feature from the uh, set of controls that we have. But on top of that, James, um, they also did kind of a neat high-level feature, like an OS-level feature. And Apple's starting to do more of these, and they kind of excite me because it's a more cohesive feature. It's trying to bring the features of the apps together. And that is they have a better... Um, screenshotting and markup tool. Now we've been moving in this direction already with iOS and Mac OS, but the neat thing now is instead of it just being a screenshots, apps can opt in and provide the whole data of all the content they're displaying so that people can mark up long documents and save them outside of the app. So this is different from the other one where I was saying you can bring these tools into your app. This is people taking data out of your app and mm. putting it someplace else. I love that they did both sides of it. Yeah, that's that was a very nice demo. And often even when people screenshot stuff, it's it's a part of the app and they have it so you can expand it to be the whole app. So they showed a web page where normally you would just see the top part of it, but it's actually the entire thing. So I thought that was neat. Uh, and, and it was weird, you know, we jumped down to iPad OS because to be honest with you, iOS didn't get a lot of like the phone didn't get a lot of <laughs> extra fee. I mean, we talked about dark mode for a hot second, but you, you maybe, I don't know if you had inside information, maybe you're listening to John Gruber, who was like, we're going to get a dark theme and everybody else on the <laughs> internet because it leaked. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, is this revolutionary? I mean, now everything has a dark mode. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with revolutionary just because when you get used to a dark mode, you hate it when a bright white app shows up on your screen and blinds you in the middle of the night. That's terrible. Yeah. So the fact that this is just going to fix that little problem of using your phone in bed, say, then life is good, James. Yes, more dark modes. But the truth is, I've been baking in a dark mode into all my apps forever because, like I said, sometimes you just want an app to be dark. And I'm happy because it should simplify some of that code, but at the same time, my apps all support iOS, God knows what, eight, you know, (laughs) nine, what is my minimum requirement these days? And so I'm always going to have to have a manual dark mode for a while. The good news is I won't have to override all the styling of the default UI. Um, hopefully the default UI will just behave itself. But actually it presents a little bit of a trick, you know, like do I keep the setting? Because right now I have a dark light setting. Do I have dark light auto, like a three-way switch now? 
So I'm going to make a few decisions there. But overall, love it. Love dark mode. But as an app developer, <laughs> I have a little bit of work ahead of me. Now, wait, wait, wait a minute, Frank, because little did you know that you could just ignore every other version of iOS because Tim told us that iOS 12 is the fastest adopted iOS version <laughs> of all time with 85% of all users. And you know, Android, it's only at 10%. You know, they got to throw it in Android's face every year. I mean, Android I didn't burn. just, oh, thanks, Tim. <laughs> we didn't know. And in fact, though, the 10% is actually really good. So Android developers in the crowd, they're like, that's pretty good. 10%, we did it, you know? Uh, we got there. <laughs> uh, it actually is really good. I don't know. But uh, but anyways, okay. you know, I, I think that, I, I hate that that's real and that statistic because yeah. it's just a very different number game when you're looking at the amount of devices that are supported, the amount of OEMs. That's not really a fair um, treatment. I mean, if you were probably to go on the Pixel devices or the devices that Google shipped, I think that's different. Granted, that's not what most people own probably but you're right the old hardware i think is gonna is still gonna get people and it's maybe not old hardware but just os is so i mean well, it's the same thing in android world too by the way is they also introduced a dark theme back at google io so it, android developers are in the same boat if you have a dark theme do you adopt the same dark theme now do you have twice the code in your app i mean mm -hmm. or, i don't know what to do to be honest with you yeah, honestly, um, I think I'm just going to keep the manual setting and just have it the first time it loads. The problem there is if they change the system setting, then I'm not detecting it. So then you got to add the detection for that. Fun times. <laughs> fun, the fun. The, but, I'm, I'm curious how they're going to implement it and if every app has to opt in automatically. You know what I mean? Or like on Mac, you have to opt out of it. Right. And yeah, so it could be which SDK did you use to build? That's often how they signal these kinds of things. So if you build with, what are we up to? Xcode 11, that SDK? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So if you build with that SDK, then you would be probably, I'm guessing, opted into this feature because they didn't mention any P lists or anything like that in the uh, presentations I saw. But um, it just goes back to what you were saying. It's not because I want to support old OSs. It's that I'm supporting old hardware that mm. Apple's not supporting the OS on anymore. I don't have, you know, if, if someone can upgrade, but they're choosing not to upgrade, no sympathy there. So <laughs> I always go, I choose which versions I'm going to uh, support based on hardware, not on. And then, you know, not on the actual version numbers, just the highest one that that hardware can hit. Whatever, we can handle this. I already have to handle this on Mac um, because of the great Mojave <laughs> switchover. So I've already dealt with an OS level dark mode. So if you joined me on that journey and had a Mac OS app before and you did Mojave support, then we've been through this already. Yeah, this isn't the, the first time that we've... We've had fun in our info P list and testing and swapping back and forth. I mean, it just means that the complexity of testing just magnified by two. two yeah, apps. yeah. And I always notice things because on Mac OS, you can switch between uh, dark mode and light mode with just a toggle button very quickly. And good apps respond instantly to it. Bad apps respond terribly to it. And so, or it, not so it's at actually... All. Or not at all, right? Uh, only they read the colors when they're first loading and then cache them and ignore all the changes. So 
curious to see how sensitive we have to be to changes on iOS or if people will just pick a mode and leave it there forever. Yeah, I'm not sure. I am not sure. I am. Okay, so I want to also confirm here. I've been browsing through the developer Apple portal because, you know, we were still on the iPad OS. And if you go to developer.apple.com slash iPad, it mm-hmm. says on the top left, iOS. Like it just says iOS, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it says iPad OS features additional technologies that take advantage of unique functionality of iPad using the iOS SDK. With iPad OS, your iPad apps can now deliver <laughs> multi-window experiences. So I think that it's just a new library. You know, it's just... It's not even a library. It's just no. marketing. It's just marketing. It's iOS, and they're just calling these features iPad OS. If 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 Pad, like there's a if Pad, if, if you know if you're on an iPad, then <laughs> yes. you can do a new window. Else, no. That it's the same thing. Yeah, that be. we've been doing for years. Anyone who's written a universal app has lines and lines and lines of that code. I mean, Xamarin Form supports it natively, right? Yep. The mm-hmm. decision. Yep. Phone versus tablet. Yeah. Man, I'm so it's so interesting to me. It's so interesting. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, before we get on to new fancy crazy stuff, you know, everyone's probably still wondering what would what would make James buy an iPhone? Yeah, that was a strange comment. What would you make a buy? What would you make you buy an iPhone? <laughs> yes. And that's a good question. And let me answer you. Sign in with Apple ID. This oh. b- blew my mind. Okay. Uh, do you want me to give it an explanation? Or do you, it sounds like you're pretty excited. I'll let you continue. Yeah. So they, you know, Apple at these keynotes, they're getting, uh, they're, ca- they're calling people out. They're, they're b- throwing b- some punches. <laughs> they're throwing some, they're not playing no, Tim Cook, he's not playing no games. Uh, you know, so obviously there's always the the Android upgrade pun every single year. That's fine. But this year, you know, there's always some stuff around security. But this year they decided finally that they were going to do a sign-in with Apple ID, which to me, I have no idea why they didn't streamline this entire process a long time ago. But they really called out Google and Facebook, privacy concerns, how much information they have. And they said, no more, Frank, no more. <laughs> you now have Apple ID and you're like, oh, that's cool. Like I'll sign in with my Apple ID, blah, blah, blah. But then they said, when you sign in with Apple ID, that app doesn't even get your email address. Apple creates a new email address in which will forward all emails to that address to your emails. So they proxy your email and they do that for every single app. So every app gets a different Apple ID in which it's logged in for. And with one swipe, you can just delete that Apple ID that was created or get out of the app so those lingering permissions don't sit around. And it it got a huge round of applause. It blew my mind. I was like, yeah, this makes sense. I like oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it. Like it makes it's so cool because they not only hinted on the fact that. When you are using a website or an app, you have to do this, but also a lot of users generate fake email addresses. And Heather, she showed me this website, it's called 10 Minute Email, where (laughs) it will generate a random email that's only valid for 10 minutes where you can receive emails. 
And I was like, that's genius, you know? And this kind of gets away from the entirety of it, of course, if everybody's on the system where they take care of everything for you. And it really impressed me. I thought, wow, someone really thought about this and did a great job. I'm, I'm, I, hand, hats off. I'm, I don't even wear hats, but they're already off. I'm very impressed. <laughs> very impressed. Yeah. And I think this is somewhat of Apple's fault too. <laughs> no, I'm not going to blame them. <laughs> but we have been getting a lot of free apps in the app store that are like, we're totes free. You get it. And they're like, haha, you have to create an account. So it's not just websites. Apps do this all the time now, especially the free ones, unfortunately. So this is amazing. Yep. Um, like you said, there have been services out there that did this before, but you had to be pretty nerdy to know how to use them, to even know they exist, to you know have your documents in order enough that you can remember how to access them and all that stuff. So baking this right into the operating system is pretty amazing pretty awesome i said i was falling asleep during the security parts earlier but this one i appreciate this one i'm definitely going to use just for all those free apps <laughs> that really want all my info for some reason yes and if everyone was curious um there was a amber alert on our phones so that's what that was yep. coming in <laughs> also a great i'm glad that everybody gets the amber alert all at the same time so now you know what time we recorded this if you live in the state of washington um um, so anyways, yeah, so I agree. So that was really big and I was happy. I was like, wow, this could, there's a lot of other things that make me impressed with the system, especially the home kit stuff. As I, as I start to, you know, as I start to understand a little bit more about Heather's privacy concerns, just in general, she, she's a, She's she's a, she's not to an extreme, but it's up there. She only browses the internet in incognito, which I think is interesting. Uh, you know, I can't live without passwords.google.com. Just Google, keep all my passwords. But, um, you know, I started to think about just in general how bits are flying. And as I start to stream more and just, you know, do more things, I heard Gruber say, it was so funny. He said it. He's like, what if Apple just, you know, got into the router and then that they're in the, they have it, the Apple security in the router and, and they, nothing goes through the router and they got to go into the, uh, this. And I was like, man, this home kit thing kind of sounds cool. Like the Apple watch, like everything is there right on your device. And then I guess as a consumer that's been in the Android world, I've always been under the, that ah, doesn't matter. Everyone's got all my information. Like Google's got all my info. Mm -hmm. But then when I see how a feature, a simple login feature, like sign in with Apple ID could simplify so much in a better way, because the idea of sign in with Google or sign with Twitter was, Hey, there's one sign in. You don't have to create all these accounts. But the problem, like you said, led down to this path, and then they they aim to solve this, and I thought that was super nice. I just thought it was it was neato. So I'm I'm uh, I'm impressed. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, can you clarify something for me? Was that router stuff only helping devices that were HomeKit devices, <clears throat> or was it a more general feature than that? Oh no no no! This was one of my favorite things. Of this is my other favorite thing. So what they're doing because Apple doesn't make routers anymore, as we know. They are going to have routers with HomeKit built in. Let me tell you what that means. 
they said, you know, we can add HomeKit. They're adding it to security cameras and everything will be done locally so it never leaves your network. So it doesn't have to go out or whatnot if you're using HomeKit. But the problem is like sometimes there's points and pieces where it has to reach out to the internet to, to do certain things. And they said, well, you know, this is a problem because you have your router that you purchased or you got from your telco, telco, mm -hmm. from your ISP <laughs> or your telco, uh, as I like to call it. And they said, that's a problem. So what we're going to do is we are working with major router manufacturers and ISPs and telcos to build HomeKit into the routers. So now all of your data is encrypted before it goes out the wire. So like they just, they put the HomeKit and the security in the, it's in the router, Frank. <laughs> like Linksys okay. and all like the yeah. Spectrum signed up. Like that's cool. I'm in, I pay for that. Mm, okay. So does that mean I just have to replace all my routers again? Or is yes. it going to be an update? Yeah. Okay. So don't buy one yet. Don't buy a router yet. I'm, 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 I was. I almost <laughs> bought one the other day. I was like, I want one of these new Nighthawks. Oh, night no. And I really yeah. like my, I have the Eero routers and I noticed mm. that the name didn't come up there, but I did notice on Twitter, people were asking, Hey, Eero, are you going to support this too? But I imagine still I would have to buy new hardware. Yeah. Um, I guess you have me a little bit sold on it. Firewalls. Good. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, someone wants to turn my lights off. It's fine, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I would hope for is the the point in time where, you know, when you go to a, a website and it, it kind of scrapes your IP address and then um, can show information about your location. Like even if you pull up a Google map and incognito, it knows kind of like exactly where you're at. Or, I don't think this would stop that because you're still going to have the IP address of your ISP. I don't know. They, unless they do something. I mean, I'd be interested mm. to see that, you mm. know. No, I don't know. Comcast is watching me. <laughs> well, the ideal scenario is that Apple routes all of its tra all the traffic through Apple and then comes down. I don't know. Anyways, let's see the implementation. So let's go. Let's move New on product. because more to we buy. got. We got. Yeah, let's get Apple more money. Okay. What are the? What is? Uh, talk about Marzipan. Okay, let's do it. Finally, the giant elephant in the room. We've been waiting for a year for this thing, and it's not called Marzipan. It turns out no one liked that name. I guess so. They gave it an even worse name, and it's called Project Catalyst, James. And what this is, is you can take all of your iOS code that you normally use to build your awesome iPad apps, as Apple wants us to do, and also your iPhone apps, I guess, and check a checkbox in Xcode. We don't know the Xamarin solution here. <laughs> and spit out a Mac app that you can, therefore, there on, upload to the Mac store. This is interesting for a lot of things. We had a lot of open questions about how this was all going to work. One of my biggest questions was, are they going to unify the two app stores? But no, we're not. All this is, is enabling is for you to create a Mac app much easier, almost with zero effort, if you've written an iOS app. Cool. Well, I would I would say that you know the addition of this feature is really a catalyst for a debate between iPad and Mac and iOS applications. I mean, it really <laughs> seems like it, it could be a substance that really increases the rate of comical reaction between these operating systems <sighs> without undergoing any permanent chemical change. I mean, that's definitely <sighs> what it sounds like in general. Wow, way to look up the Webster definition of the word catalyst, James. <laughs> I love it. Um, it's a stupid name. Why? Why do they? 
Oh, call it iOS on Mac. That's cuter. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so um, I had some open questions towards Xamarin also, and I haven't gotten all the technology back end, so I can't make too many predictions. I'll leave you off because you're not allowed to talk about this stuff. But my guess is this shouldn't be too much effort for Xamarin to support, and therefore we should be able to take our Xamarin iOS apps and our uh, Xamarin Forms iOS apps and have them running on Macs and making more money in the Mac app store. All good things. I'm very excited for it. It's- yeah. I'm in. In fact, if you wanted to build a i or Mac application and you could just build an iOS application and then just yeah. check check the checkbox and then not ship the i iOS app, right? I mean, that's the cool part. Is <laughs> well, that's <it's>, true. <laughs> it's it's sort of a universal Apple platform like a uap <laughs> uap is taken buddy you can't have that one they yeah, got U- uwp and uap <laughs> yeah i got them both oh no i mean uh so this is cool this is they said that they learned a lot they learned a lot they worked with a lot of developers to get project catalyst and it's a project it's not it's a, it's a thing but it is it is just a checkbox and I, even in the developer it's so silly but in the developer uh state of the union they're like, how do you enable it? And they're like, and there is a checkbox unchecked, and then you check the checkbox. <laughs> I mean, they did say that there are all the, basically all the APIs that you can imagine, especially if it's a great iPad application, then you can do this. Um, and it, it seems as if it's, yeah, it's just one huge binary with all the different iPhone, iPad, Mac applications next, who knows, maybe tvOS, maybe watchOS, just shove them all in there for some reason. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, this is nice. And it I don't know any inside baseball because I was not in our Slack channel at all today. But my assumption, someone asked me on Twitter, like, would we support this? I said, knowing none of the technology, seeing it was just <laughs> announced an hour ago, uh, and I can't, I don't have the bits installed in my machine cause I'm demoing later. I'm sure the team is looking at it. And if, if it's just something that Apple is compiling down in for bytecode or bitcode into LLVM, like, and recompiling it to x86, which is like absolutely stunning and amazing and making all of the same exact, oh, like things work and then spicing it up. Like that's really cool in general. Uh, it should just work. I, mean, I think it would just work maybe. Yeah, well, the reason I'm so confident is um, we, we've been able to look into these apps before. The News app has uh, been using this technology. The Stocks app uh, has been using it also. So the community unofficially has had a rough idea of how all this stuff was going to work. And we've been ha- uh, shipping fat binaries on iOS and Android forever now. Mm-hmm. This is old technology. We know how to do it. We've we've been running on our running our cross platform apps on so many form factors. It just feels like normal business, and so that's what I'm so happy about. Is they didn't make a big deal of it. They're like, "Yep, it's just a new binary. binary links to these libraries. Everything should just work." And they did some nice things. Um, Mac apps have menu bars, so you do want to add a few features to your app. And this is why they kept saying you want to write a good iPad app, because a (laughs) lot of these features are shared with the iPad. Uh, For instance, um, we've always been able to use keyboard command keys, like command C, command V on iPads, and you could override those in your apps with UI key commands. 
honestly, not a lot of apps did do it. But now that is going to be the way that you create menus. And you there's a new abstraction called UI command. It's very MVVM, you know, we're, we're all quite used to it. And it's, it's just simple, elegant. I think it's going to be real easy to just add those little features you need to make it feel really at home on the Mac. I'm I'm just so excited for this. It's so much less work for me. I'm working on an app specifically right now where I've been keeping an iOS and a Mac version together. And I literally have a file called uikit.cs where it was just me re-implementing classes from UIKit to make them work on Mac. And now I don't have to do that. It's all done for me. This is amazing. Yeah, do you think that with this, I guess the question I had, right, thinking about how it can extend iOS. You have a lot of, you have personally a lot of iOS and Mac applications and that application is the same and or very similar in some regards, probably different features between the two since there are literally different iOS features. I guess without going, I don't know how much of the documentation you've gone into on it or how much they've released on it. Like, Do you think that your apps could actually go through this process and work? Yes, every one of them. Um, they're not going to look, I think, as I would want them to look exactly. There are just physical size differences. Um, when you start reading the docs, the default iOS font size is larger than the default Mac font size. This is why we've always had a little bit of trouble in the Xamarin Forms world where we just wanted to stabilize everything to you know one font size on all the platforms and all mm. that. So there's always going to be little things like that. And I mentioned it before, um, the like right-click context menu, or there's a new way to do that on iPadOS, as we call it. That thing is going to become important because that's going to have the correct native look and feel for both platforms when you switch between the two platforms. So I'm going to have to do a few little upgrades like that to make sure I'm using the latest UI widget so it looks good on both platforms. But just the amount of effort um, keeping two projects in sync, you know, I'm usually pretty good. I have um, 85 to 90% code reuse, but honestly, that 15% can fall behind, especially if you start doing custom UI work, custom controls, then that's, that's when you really start hitting bad hurdles. But if I have one unified UI library, custom controls doesn't matter. (laughs) It runs on both. That'd be cool. And I think that, you know, talking about taking existing apps and moving them over, which I have many on iOS, and I think that they would play nice on uh, Mac OS. I think of obviously Meetup Manager, which I've always wanted to bring to desktop, and also um, my scoreboard application and a few others too. Those are really pretty shim. They do have in-app purchases and things like that and ads. So it'd be very interesting to see how third-party libraries work. Like how does Google Play ads work or how does in-app <laughs> purchases work? I imagine in-app purchases, maybe they've updated that API. But what happens when you do have a dependency on an ad service? Does that just work? You know, th- those are some of the weird things. But if, if if that does work, the nice part is even though those are built in Xamarin Forms, um, you know, if they update the API, you could just say on idiom and you would have, fo- you already have it today, but you have phone, tablet, desktop, and you would just say, if it's on desktop, do this thing. And then you would know it's on mm-hmm. Mac. Right. So, and that'd be really yeah. cool. I think, I think in that instance, it would be pretty, pretty neato. I'd be, I'd be pretty into mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah. And you just brought up something uh, really interesting about third-party libraries. Uh, this is where it's uh, paying off to be a .NET developer because our our binaries are not tied to a specific machine in general, unless it's one of those evil libraries that makes OS calls, you know, then you have to deal <laughs> with that kind of stuff. But um, in general, we all have managed code and it can run on any platform. And so most of our libraries, like all of NuGet, will be able to switch over and use Marzipan just fine. Or not Marzipan. Project Catalyst, <laughs> just fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so no concerns there. The biggest problem is, as you said, native libraries. So Google ships native libraries. There's a lib folder with some, you know, code, machine code in it. So all those things are totally going to break. <laughs> okay. But .NET will troop on, no problem. Yeah, and then I'd imagine that if if there was some native stuff like SQLite, which ships probably a Mac OS flavor of the native lib, then that would continue to work. I'm in, so yeah, interested. that's fine, yeah. right? Because the the OS libraries are still going to be there. They said mm. they ported something like forty of the iOS libraries, and I think most apps use about three. So yeah. <laughs> I think we're we're all going to be pretty well covered. It's it's really the third party stuff that I think we'll run into a little bit of difficulty with. But even then, someone big like Google, they can just check that checkbox, make it happen. Yeah. Oh, and I hope that that's that's how easy it is to not only be an app developer to get into the Catalyst system, but if you're a library developer, ideally it is check a checkbox and then make it happen at compile time wherever they're compiling their their library. Yeah, I, I I'm curious to see what Xamarin decides to do if they just stick with their current uh, NuGet target framework monikers like uh, xamarin.ios xamarin.mac i'm curious to see if xamarin chooses to create a new one i kind of really hope they don't but i would understand if they do or they might just use the xamarin.mac moniker honestly it's gonna be a little confusing <laughs> curious to see what name they decide to choose for nougat but the good thing is like i said that's only for native stuff so all yeah. your .NET standard stuff is just gonna work because it's magic mag managed land magical .NET code that runs everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm overall pleased, but you know, uh, to me, it's, it's nice. I got to wait for stuff to happen. And this stuff only runs on the new Mac OS. What do they call yeah. it? Catalina? Catalina. Catalina. That's why it's catalyst. It's the catalyst of Catalina. Oh, oh we're so stupid. Jeepers. Oh, Good wow. brain, James. Good job. Wow. Yeah, in fact, I had downloaded Xcode 11 beta, and I tried to check the checkbox, but it said, no, no, you must be running Catalina in order to check this checkbox. Do it. So, you know, I am. I'm sacrificing a laptop right now to the Catalina god. God Catalina. <laughs> god uh, well, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to see how it all works out for you. While I do have multiple Mac machines, they are for demo and work purposes, so I will not destroy <laughs> not. them and... Okay. Not do it. Uh, I am very, I like to wait a little bit. I, I'm I'm that person where Apple goes, oh, you know, this amount of people have updated to the new Mac OS where I'm like, eh, mm -hmm. not until Xcode forces me. That's when Jeez. I got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I've been 
doing computers long enough, I just don't even care about bugs. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay, so it crashes every time I click there. I just won't click there. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I've become so easy. <laughs> They're pretty I good just, now. I, I was yeah. I was using the latest Windows Insider build because you know, on any Windows machine, anybody can turn that on. And I go, oh, I'm, I have this little Surface Go. And I'm like, I wonder if this runs better with like the new crazy hotness. And I was like, I'll turn it on. Why not? And I was like, it looks and feels like Windows. Like nothing is super duper busted that I can tell. But even if it was, it's like, well, I, you know, I put it in there. So, so I already installed iOS 13 onto my iPad Pro and it booted up and I did the left, uh, left drag gesture. <laughs> you drag from the left and it's going to bring up uh, widgets. We have widgets on the home screen now. Widgets. Ah, widgets. And then it crashed. <laughs> oh, no. I was like classic iOS beta. It, it was kind of nice to see. I was like, oh, I miss crashing iOS. The summer is so much fun. It is the summer of betas. We've talked about it for every single year, all three years that we've been doing this podcast, Frank, and it, <laughs> it doesn't get any better. Now we just have more, we have more things to get beta, right? We have watches and TVs and Macs and Xcodes and phones and iPads and all the things to up update. Beta Mac Pros. Everyone's got to update their Mac Pros. <laughs> uh, don't do that. All right, let's get on to the, the catalyst in the room. The the <laughs> Okay, there, there's there's one less one more little elephant in the room. We'll call it a donkey. I don't know. Um, a new UI framework, James, is out for iOS. So to catch everyone up, we have AppKit is the U user interface framework for Mac. UIKit is the user interface for iOS. And now Apple has thrown their money behind yet another uh, UI framework for iOS. And it's called Swift UI. And this is pretty classic. Uh, they are following everyone else's pattern of creating basically an MVU way to create apps. So this is designing your user interface using code in a kind of declarative style because it's MVU. And that is anytime the data changes, conceptually, it recreates the entire UI, la-di-da, either way. As we all know from Fabulous and React, it's a nice way to write our apps. And it's a new library out there for us to all use. Yeah, it's very, like you said, React, Fabulous, Fluttery, MVU, Model View Update style, which isn't too, it's, it's, uh, it's different than MVVM. You know, there's models and views, and the difference is that there's this state object that sort of is lingering around, which is kind of like your view model. But they have <laughs> such similar and yet a little bit different structure to them. Can, can you describe it? Because I have a hard time actually figuring out the core difference. Uh, you mean in general or for SwiftUI itself? Just Maybe I'll just describe SwiftUI. Yeah. In general, but I mean, I think in of an mm -hmm. MVU, maybe as you describe SwiftUI, it will open my okay. eyes. Well, uh, the, the concept is very simple. For every view that you have or every type of view you have, you have a function that can create it. And this function takes data and outputs a view. And you might say, well, that sounds simple because it is. <laughs> but imagine your view might be complicated, have, might have multiple items in it. Think about a table view. So if uh, my view creation function maybe receives a list of people and the output is a, list, a table view with a bunch of cells in it. It's a very simple conceptual model. I take data and I output user interface. 
the problem is it's not a very efficient model. It's not how computers really work. Mm. In computers, we usually want to overwrite memory, re-execute functions, not keep recreating memory. And so people have had to write libraries to take that, that simple conceptual model and make it work. And the Swift UI is one such thing. As I mentioned, this is also how React works if you're a web developer and have used that library. Mm. This is also how the F-sharp library Fabulous works. So for every view, and you can decompose it because a function can call a function. So obviously you can decompose your UI into multiple functions. And each one, just a little bit of data, I'll put a UI. So that's why it's a lot like model binding in MVVM because you're taking data and you're binding it to controls. The difference is the mental model or the semantic model, however you wanna go. Um, with these, it's you always have data going through a function, creating UI. That's the whole model. Whereas with MVVM, you have data and a UI and they're constantly communicating back and forth with each other. They are two persistent objects constantly mutating each other. With this other approach, data, UI, kind of stale objects. That's a long explanation. <laughs> I don't think that helped anyone, but it does produce, the effect is you write a lot less code and it's a nice way to write an app. Yeah, it seems as if they have in some fashion with this model, it's almost like how Kotlin does a lot of it. And I know there's a lot of C-sharp features that sort of aim to simplify the code, the constructor of it. So just adding, for instance, you know, they have a V stack, which is a vertical stack, or you have a H stack, horizontal stack, and you just kind of add things to it. Like it's just in it because that's what it takes. And like in the world of, of traditionally you would have this thing and then you have the children and you have to add the children and then the parent has some state or the, the up top thing has some state and it goes back and forth. But I'm, I'm a still fan of MVVM. Still, still that's how I like to do my, <laughs> my apps. I'm a big fan. I understand it very well. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with this is they really didn't talk too much about how Catalyst brought UIKit to Mac. It was more like, hey, you can just kind of make this work. Where this one is, hey, like kind of throw out UI kit, throw out app kit, and we want to do something new, which I think is cool, you know, and this is anything that's new and shiny, like that seems cool to me. You know what I, I mean? Mm -hmm. And the fear, of course, is, well, UI kit has been around for 11 years or whatever, and it's super, com you know, complex and stable and all these things. And are you going to be able to recreate, you know, my, my fear always is, when you release anything new, like we just released Shell, right, for mm -hmm. Xamarin Forms. And everyone's like, should I just rewrite my entire app in Shell? I was like, I don't know, <laughs> does it make sense for your app? Like, does your app work today? Are you happy with it? Like, do you want to change your entire app? Like, it's up to you. Maybe down the road, maybe it's good now. I don't know what your app looks like. Um, the question really will be is, is this something that's really for new apps going forward? Or is the recommendation that all new apps use this, or is it for a subset of applications? And that to me wasn't defined yet. Yeah. Um, 
I would make the argument personally that I would adopt this if I were people <laughs> writing mm. Swift code. Um, uh, I, I've used Fabulous, which is for Xamarin Forms, and it's quite excellent. I love the way that it simplifies user interfaces. I've been doing UIs for a long time, and I generally favor the Visual Basic way, where you actually draw things onto a form and you write some <laughs> background code and, I don't know, stretch things out and have binding. I really love that way. But the truth is, um, this all gets back to that functional reactive programming that we talked about. And I was searching our archives, and I think I found the episode number, Merge Conflict number 94. Everyone loves architecture. And it's an episode where we were talking about these very concepts of the architecture of these kinds of user interfaces. And I forgot, James, Apple's copying me. Immutable UI. Remember that library I wrote? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is basically the same thing. So you can just write a little function, it generates UI, it updates the screen. I I think that this is good. Um, as per your advice of whether everyone out there should jump and adopt it, well, if you're a .NET developer, we haven't bound to it yet, so you're not going to do that. But if you're a Swift developer, I think yes, at least a good, If I just off the top of my head, 60 to 80% of your app, I think, could be represented in this style without losing any fidelity and honestly with fewer bugs than if you were to do it by hand. MVVM, they're about equal, honestly. If you're if you're a devout MVVM person, you'll probably be okay. But I'm not a devout MVVM person, so that's why I think I like this um, MVU world a lot. This makes sense. And to be honest, when I look a lot at... So when I look a lot, it's, it's, it's actually really funny because how Google and Android world they started to adopt MVVM into core Android. Like they actually have a view model class to handle state <laughs> and things like this. And then obviously Flutter does this state and React does a state. And traditionally, the iOS model has always been MVC, model view controller, yeah. always. Uh, that's just how it's been represented. So kind of this shift to go from a model view controller to something else that is handling the automatic updates, because when they were showing it off, especially in the state of the union, they made a lot of big, like, see how it automatically updates your UI for you. And you don't have to worry about updating the UI and it just does it. And you do these bindings and you're like, cool. Yeah. I've been doing that forever. You know what I mean? Uh, so, but I could see how, again, that is a big change if you're an iOS developer that hasn't been using anything um, that's doing that for you. And there's probably tons of iOS yeah. core libraries that do that. But from Apple, as a, as a way of building apps, there hasn't been that model or someone new. You're not going to learn that. But now you could say, I have this person class and it just updates automatically. And that that is relatively cool in the world that we live in today. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh can I, I, we're running very late at this point, but I want to say one more thing Apple ripped off from me. Mm. <laughs> if I may, James, it might Go take ahead. a second to explain. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So we're like, let's pretend we're app developers and we're creating some new custom UI for something and we haven't gotten it fully data bound yet, but we want a preview of it, but we don't have any data for it. What do you do, James? Um, and I ran into this problem a lot with my IDE for the iPad because I always wanted to give people a live presentation of their code. What that meant was I gave the recommendation that they should create a subclass of whatever UI they were making and just fill that with test data. 
and then mm. visualize the subclass. It's kind of hacky, but it's kind of elegant too. That way, if you know the general work you do on the main class, and then you can just play around with the data in the subclass and everything visualizes nicely. James, how do you think that Apple deals with preview data? <laughs> the exact same way, perhaps? The exact same way. So a little vindicated. I'm like, yeah, that was the only solution I could come up with too. So I'm like, I'm glad the Apple engineers couldn't figure out anything better either. But I'm also going to say they stole it from me. Haha. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, they use conditional compilation too. If debug, then use this yeah. subclass or whatever it was <laughs> it was it was a little weird it's like okay well i guess maybe they don't want to include that code in the finished product or something um but yeah I, it was strange you know when we ran through this with xamarin forms like trying to improve the design time visualization mm -hmm. like with the previewer of people really want design time data and previously we would just run your app and do stuff and it wasn't Running your actual app code, like that's bad because things yeah. go wrong when you're not actually debugging or it's just slow. It kind of slows it down. And if you make a change to the UI, is it going to make a web request every time? You don't want that. So what we ended up doing, funnily enough, is we added these like debug D colon attributes. So on yeah. any single view in your, in your XAML stack, you just say, D colon text, and that is your design time data. And that all gets stripped and removed away at compile time or whatever, because you don't need to worry about it. Only the designer sees that. So it is kind of like this designer dummy data. And you can do that with lists of data too. And you just kind of put it in there, just like you would subclass that view. You're, you're not even subclassing the view. It's just in there. But uh, I thought that that was, they, they showed it all over the place. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's cute. You know, and that's, that's probably the better way of doing it than, um, having to create an entire, you know, entire state of your application or entire view model, for instance, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of that. It just takes a lot of work unless there's some specific reason for it. But, uh, yeah, I like that. And in fact, I think in Xamarin forms, we have it, like you can say, like my app is in design time. Like even at runtime, you could say, put it in design time. And I think it would pick up all the things I'd have to test that. Mm -hmm. Cause I'd be kind of nice actually so now one feature the xaml previewer absolutely has to steal from this which is it's simple but it, it's hard to solve but it's a real simple gesture and that is if you could just click on the preview and it would highlight the bit of xaml code or whatever code <laughs> generated that ui wouldn't that be splendid and then offer a bunch of nice refactorings so they kind of knocked it out of the park there uh we've been so focused on previewers that we often forget to implement very simple user interface things like that like if i click my mouse on the button obviously find the button on the stupid form <laughs> you know it's going to be there somewhere yeah <laughs> and just highlight the thing so i'm hoping that this will push uh the xamarin folks to keep their previewer up to par and uh steal some steal some nice apple features from them I think there's like both ways too. I think on the on the code or on the XAML, it's like re major refactorings. But yeah, on the the preview of what's there, and they do have a very nice two way code editor repl. Hot, yeah, I don't know if they use the they words hot it. reload. Like they they did they did. I don't know if they have an interpreter. Do they have an interpreter? What are they doing, Frank? 
Uh, technologically, I have no clue at all. But um, semantically, they're doing exactly what I'm trying to do with my IDE. And that is, as you're making code edits, just update that preview as if it's a live execution of the code. What are they actually doing, James? I have no clue. <laughs> um, it's pretty fast, though. So that's nice. They, they obviously worked hard on that. Uh, yeah. Pretty good times for them. The refactorings I'm pretty jealous about. They had some good drag and drop support in their code editor that I don't support. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Good good job, good. Apple. Credit where yeah. credit's due. Yeah, good job. It, you know, and you know, Xcode, you know, they gotta keep up, keep up with it. So now X you know, we talked about last year how Xcode was really ramping up and doing well. And it's good to see that as well. So if you're developing those apps, so yeah, I'll be interested to see, you know, what else I can't talk about anything we're doing. And that's, that's the shame part. You know, that's, yeah. a, that's the hard part of working at the company. Where sometimes <laughs> You're talking about their products. I can't talk I'm about like, anything. Catch up, James, catch up. <laughs> like I can't say anything. So, uh, the last part I want to talk about the Swift UI is that I also watched an entire demo of them building a watch OS app with it, which sort of blew my mind and, and was, they're like, oh, but it's, you can also run it on the iPhone. And I was like, that's interesting. I don't know if I'd want to do that, but I'm kind of confused. Did you have thoughts on this? I, I'm Cause I'm yeah. for it, but I'm not sure about using the same exact UI uh, on well, the phone and watch, but I don't know. Th- this coming from a Xamarin Forms developer? <laughs> <laughs> well, the watch, the watch is always special. It's so small. It's so small. It's so small. Yeah. Well, so is an iPhone compared to an iPad. That's true. Um, That's true. Yeah. Good point. Touche. Yep. Um, so what's my opinion on this? Uh, good job, Apple. Uh, they finally got the cross-platform lesson. Yeah, you don't need a separate framework for every device. This is just purely good. This means... Um, like I said, this this model of creating a UI is good enough for a good 80% of your app. And if that means that you get to share a lot of UI code between the watch, the phone, the pad, and the Mac, it's all good, James. This is all good things. So I'm not going to... Uh, yeah. You know, you just have if statements. <laughs> if watch, don't show this part. That's all. Yeah, that's You've true. been doing it forever. I fe- Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Apple's finally figuring out that some of their developers would like to do some cross-platform development or just want to write code once or just have one code base that's really what this is about is just having a single code base for multiple platforms yeah so what'd you think overall were you impressed blown away best wwdc ever well, you know, honestly, on the OS side, it, it was a little, it was, it was okay. I'm happy. I mean, especially the multi-window support on the iPad. I think that's the biggest um, iPad OS feature. And I'm very excited about that. And then from an app developer's point of view, it's it's um, Project Callisto, Project Cylind, I don't even, whatever we're going to catalyst. Uh, that's the big one for me, because that is going to save me so much time, effort, and worry and architecture thought and all of that. I can ignore architecture. I can just use the UI button everywhere. It's good. <laughs> One button to rule them all. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm overall, like I said, I, t- I tweeted out that I was excited and I'll be excited even more as I get to watch some of the deeper dive videos because we did not even get to talk about some of the new things they're doing in AR kit or ML kit. Mm-hmm. There's a new reality kit. There's all sorts of just... There's so much that we're going to need to dive into. Okay. 
But yeah. just because we're here for the moment, and I, I know I might not get a chance to talk about ML again, but remember what my biggest requested feature was for ML? That is, I want to be able to train on the device. I want to train mm-hmm. a network on the device. Mm-hmm. They've finally given it to me, James. They've given it to me. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll get to talk about it someday, but not next week. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yes, Frank got the feature he's been wanting from CoreML for a long time. Yeah. Well, Frank... As always, our WWDC conversations are always a joy. I do love them. They're probably one of our most downloaded episodes besides the build. Yeah, I think so. Uh, So yeah, I hope that people super duper enjoyed it. Yeah, let us know what you think of of the keynotes and the the State of the Unions. Uh, And of course, shoot us an email, go to mergeconflict.fm. You can hit that button, contact, tweet at us, all the things. But I think that's going to do it. Frank, thank you for taking time out of your literal Monday after the keynote ends to come and spend it with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, James, this was a lot of fun. I hope everyone enjoys our very hot takes on all of this fascinating new technology. Yeah, super hot takes. Well, all right, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.